Welcome to the PA Books Podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, Robert Strauss, author of John Marshall, The Final Founder. Robert Strauss is the author of John Marshall, The Final Founder. You say in the book that John Marshall may well have been the Zelig of the founding era. Who was Zelig and why was Marshall like him? Okay, well, Zelig was a character in a Woody Allen movie, and, and uh, uh, you, you know, you can compare him to Forrest Gump, too. He, he just was everywhere. Zelig was this, was this character that you know, any photo you'd ever see of historic note, he was in. Uh, uh, so so uh, that, that's how Marshall was. I mean, Marshall lasted a long time. Uh, for those who don't know who Marshall was, he was the sort of the first uh, significant Supreme Court Chief Justice. Uh, that was what he was known for. But starting with Valley Forge, where he was, uh, till uh, 1835, when he died here in Philadelphia, uh, um, he was—he had many different jobs in in, uh, in the federal government and the state governments. Uh, and what I like to point out is that it wasn't that hard to be a founding father, to tell you the truth. I know it's—I know, you know, you revere all of these guys, uh, and they were all men, of course, uh, unless you count Abigail Adams, who's been uh, pushed up uh, lately. But—but— but, but, um, uh, the uh, the population of the United States, the, the first censuses were in 1790 and 1800, and the population in 1790, and this is significantly, significantly after the Declaration of Independence, was only 3.9 million. But half of those people were women. Many of them were slaves or black men who couldn't vote, uh, so they couldn't hold office either. And then there were, of course, many children. People had a lot of children because uh, uh, there were a significant number who died. Uh, so you had maybe 600,000 uh, white men over 21, if you want to count. the 21 is the age he could have become a founder. Uh, uh, so that's not really that many, 600,000. It's a third of Philadelphia, right? Uh, um, so— uh, so that it's just not that many. And then you consider what the country was. If you look at those uh, early censuses in, in 1800, even, there were only five places in the United States that had more than 10,000 people. There was Philadelphia, New York, way, way above everybody else, at about 50,000. And then there, was, uh, then there was Baltimore, Boston, and Charleston, South Carolina. And every other place had less than 10,000 people. Now, we often view the uh, colonial era, or whatever that you want to call it, or post-colonial era, as sort of a junior version of what we have now. But it wasn't so. People lived remotely. They wanted to. They came to America because it was wide open. There was expanses. You could have lots of land. John Marshall's father was a, was a surveyor. He was a friend of George Washington. They were, that's how they made their dough. I mean, they, you, you would go out as a surveyor. It wasn't like a, 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 a seeing where your sidewalk is in your suburban town. It was 
thousands of acres that you would that somebody would be wanting to purchase. And what you probably got was a little piece of that, 100 acres. Now, that sound, 100 acres sounds like a lot. Well, it was a lot. This is, this is what you wanted. You wanted land. You were in this, this country that, that land was the thing you could have. Uh, you, you couldn't have it in the Netherlands, for God's sakes, or Great Britain. Uh, uh, it just wasn't that much of an expanse. So uh, America, it, it was like a land rush. It was like uh, uh, the gold rush of, of, uh, of the 49ers, only it was a land rush in the colonial and post-colonial era here. So that's how these people came to rebel. Uh, because they just saw that we, we have this new thing. We're new kinds of people. Uh, uh, you know, why did why did the American Revolution happen? Well, that's pretty much why it happened. The, the people coming over from Britain were the old people. You know, we were we're the new people, and uh, they were able to form this government. And John Marshall was one of those people who did. He was the one who made the court system what we have today. Well, let's go back to Marshall's beginning. Where did he grow up? He grew up in uh, what what then was thought of as Western Virginia, but now it's about where uh, Winchester or or something like 50, 70 miles out of what Washington D.C. is now, but of course wasn't then, and that was a, that was a distance. It took a while to get there. We didn't have uh, we didn't have uh, 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 you know cars or anything. It took a while to get those fifty or seventy miles away because there were no roads per se they you know you you knew your way much like your own personal gps uh uh his father like i said he was a friend of washington so he came of age just as the war was starting just as the revolutionary war was starting and his father uh that his father trained him in in these sort of uh uh whatever you want to call them, military arts because of course they hadn't fought anywhere uh and when it came to uh, came time to uh muster up, uh, uh, Marshall and his father went to this, went to this place by their house, and Marshall just called himself a lieutenant. He had, like, 12 friends, and you know, so he was, he was the head of a brigade. There was no such thing—you know, they didn't fight any wars. I mean, yes, they fought in the French and Indian War, some of them, but, but, the, but that, those are mostly British soldiers. Mostly the Americans who came to settle did not fight in it. Washington was unusual in that. So they went off to see, you know, the, uh, Mar Mar uh, the senior marshal's friend, uh, uh, Washington. They went up to uh, uh, New Jersey. They got to fight in uh, 1776, 1777. They came to Valley Forge. And uh, the Valley Forge—one <laughs> of the things about Valley Forge is it's not in a valley. Why would Washington, this great general, put, put his troops in the winter in a valley? So he couldn't see what was going on if the British in Philadelphia were going to come out. So Valley Forge is really on a hill. Yes, there is a little, there are, there are, there's little streams running through it. Uh, uh, but but uh, in any case, it's up on this hill. And uh, they started to—you know, we, we have this—also, we have this vision of Valley Forge as a place where, you know, people were going around with paper shoes and, 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 and dying—dropping off and dying at, at, at once. Well— it wasn't wonderful, don't get me wrong, but there were, there were 12,000 uh, uh, soldiers there. If, if that many died, we wouldn't have had much of a war, would we? So most of the people who died, died of—well, uh, they, they, if you go out to Valley Forge now, you can see the huts that they built. 
Uh, now, like I said, it wasn't wonderful. It was cold. Uh, but most of the people who died in Valley Forge died of disease and died later in the winter or early spring uh, because those rivulets that came through there were filled of excrement, for instance. People did come through Valley Forge and, uh, and, and you know, we were selling—well, they wanted to sell stuff. They, they, they were uh, farmers out in that neck of the woods, and, and uh, there, there, was, there was meat to eat and, and, and so forth. Uh, but anyway, what, what Marshall came in Valley Forge is he was a jock. He was an athlete. Uh, uh, that's, he only went to one year of school. Can you imagine this guy who comes, becomes the Supreme Court Chief Justice now? And eight of the nine of them went to Harvard or Yale, either law school or, uh, or, or undergrad now. But uh, he went to one year. His father sent him off to some boarding school at about 10, where he met James Monroe, another uh, uh, famous Virginian. And uh, that was it. Uh, he, he studied mostly at home. There were books in the house. Uh, uh, um, and, uh, but he studied—he you know, he became, became an athlete. And when he got to Valley Forge, what he took upon himself is he, he had games for the, uh, for the uh, uh, soldiers and, and to keep their spirits up. And, and uh, he, was no, he was known, like I say, as a jock. He was the Bruce Jenner or O.J. Simpson of, uh, of uh, Valley Forge, he, he, uh, he was the rec director. And he—one uh, of the diaries has uh, 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 one of the soldiers saying that he could jump over a, uh, 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 a rod or, 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 or some sort of stick that was uh, held on the heads of two soldiers. So that's pretty good, six, seven feet, right? I mean, that's, you know, not, not quite Olympic standards, but, but pretty good. And so that's how he—he he kept— you know, and then he kept a, a good relationship with Washington. He he was really Washington's greatest acolyte. Uh, uh, I know if you you saw Hamilton, you saw he, 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 Alexander Hamilton is is a great uh, uh, courier of favor with Washington. But he does fall out with him at some point. But Marshall always sort of stuck with Washington as his supreme being, so to speak. So I want to go back to his childhood a little bit and talk about his education. You mentioned that he had limited formal schooling. Uh, what would he have been reading in his father's library? Uh, you, you mentioned during the, in the book Alexander Pope was a significant figure at the time. Alexander Pope was uh, was the uh, Danielle Steele of 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 uh, early America. Uh, he, it, for for whatever reason, Pope uh, 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 books of Pope were in most. Uh, Libraries, such as they were. I mean, we didn't. Nobody had a library like. Well, Thomas Jefferson had a great library, but but most people did not. And and, and of the few books they would have, and of course they have the Bible. Uh, uh, They're mostly Christians, and and and, and uh, 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 you know th that would be in most people's houses. So so those would be the two great books. And so they would memorize things. It wouldn't wouldn't be like they'd read it once. You know, it'd be like. Uh, uh, memorizing, uh, you know, uh, whatever poems you had to memorize in school. Uh, so, and then they would have other English authors, uh, such as they were, uh, either famous or not famous. Did his family own slaves? Uh, his family did not, but he did later. So, so yeah. his his family his family was. His, his family was quite big in and of itself. Uh, he was the first uh, of ten children, and uh, uh, so uh, the uh, elder uh, Marshall was not that rich to have slaves. How old was John Marshall when the Revolution began? 
he was born in, I believe, 1757. Uh, so he was, you know, he was a late teenager when he went to those camps, like like I was telling you. And and and, and as we know, many of them were were uh, uh, supervised by uh, state uh, officials. And Patrick Henry was the uh, governor, and so he would uh, authorize uh, whatever whatever troops would become and whatever battalions were there. It was pretty loosey-goosey. I mean, you know, if anything you read about the Revolution, Washington, one of Washington's greatest things is that he kept the war going. He was a great retreater. Uh, he, he had a vision that the British would get tired of the war if he could just keep the troops there. So uh, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the scenes that you see or, or histories that you read will show Washington in battle, you know, not not the same way you would imagine him running over uh, uh, people and and you know somebody throwing a hatchet at somebody's head or whatever it is. Uh, it, it was mostly a series of of leading the British around as far as he could. Now, in addition to Valley Forge, Marshall also served at a couple other battles or a couple other sites in uh, Pennsylvania. One was the Battle of Brandywine. What happened there? Uh, you know, it, it was another one of those strategic uh, 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 go in there, do some do some damage, and, and run away. I mean, uh, uh, as you know, after uh, Brandywine is when, it, it was when uh, 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 and Germantown the, those battles uh, right around uh, Philadelphia that the British retreated into Philadelphia. The British British while 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 the American troops were in Valley Forge, the British were. We're doing it up in Philadelphia. It was a great uh, uh, party town that winter. Uh, uh, the, the playhouses were open. Uh, there, the, uh, uh, the the restaurants were open. The hotels were open. It was the big city, and, and, and it's curious in a certain sense that the war wasn't over then, but it wasn't. The uh, Congress escaped to various parts of Pennsylvania to uh, to meet. When they did, they didn't meet much in the winter, of course. And, uh, 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 you, you know, uh, uh, those were, those were, that was a serious time. We could have lost. They, the British could have squelched anything, but, but they didn't. For some reason, they just holed up in Philadelphia instead of attacking in Valley Forge. Now, you quote one historian as saying that Valley Forge was a better training for Marshall's peculiar abilities than Oxford or, Oxford or Cambridge could have been. Why? Well, because he, you know, he learned about being being a military person. I mean, we had oddments of uh, of uh, European mil military people, uh, von Steuben and and, and so forth, Kosciuszko, uh, people who had been in wars in Europe, uh, uh, were able to at least train as they would. I mean, the, uh, von Steuben uh, put people through drills, whatever they were, uh, got them together. Uh, it, it was more. I mean, uh, the war, at least at that point, was more an idea of uh, togetherness, that, 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 that you, uh, you, you were serving a purpose. You were there—some uh, of them were there to be uh, a gallant, and others were there because it was a job. And, 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 but many of them were there because they, they found this collegial element that they didn't find in their uh, far-off uh, branches in, in, in the various parts of the country. How long did uh, how long did Marshall serve in the army? When when did he leave? Just a couple of years. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know whether he was conscripted and and, he, and his time was up. 
after uh, in the year after Valley Forge. But but what happened was his father uh, got a, uh, a little military job. I, I guess Washington probably got it for him over over in the Yorktown uh, 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 Williamsburg area of Virginia. Now, now one thing I want to tell you about uh, our country is that. Uh, at that point, Virginia was by far the largest state. Now, I don't mean an area, although it, it was quite large an area, but but it had 21 percent of the population of the United States. Now, many of them were slaves, but still, 21 percent. Can you imagine that now? That's, so we went from a Virginia-centric country to later on in the 19th and early 20th century to a New York-centric country, and now we're probably a California-centric country. But it's hard, hard to remember that, that we had— all these all the famous people you know Ma Madison Monroe Jefferson Washington Patrick Henry and you know Marshall for those of you who know him uh, uh, these were all Virginians it, it, it said that that when they met to, when the committee met to write the Declaration of Independence Adams said to Jefferson that you're writing it because nobody will nobody will follow it unless they're, a Virginian had a big part of it Virginia was this was this uh, uh, mega place? Now, John Marshall, of course, we, we know him, as you mentioned earlier, as a Supreme Court justice. Uh, what, what kind of legal training did he have? He had limited legal training. This is what happened. So he goes to, so he, he goes to visit his father. When, the, when his time is over, he goes down to Yorktown. And, and, and in Yorktown, uh, there hadn't been a lot of uh, partying going on. A lot, of, a lot of the men left to serve in the, in the military. And there was this one family, the Amblins, who had three teenage daughters, sort of like the story in Hamilton. They weren't the Schuylers, they were the Amblin girls. And uh, 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 Joaquin Amblin uh, was, uh, was a person of note. He ended up uh, marrying the, uh, the uh, former paramour of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, so Jefferson didn't like the Amblins to begin with. He was Marshall's second cousin. He was governor of Virginia at this time. But uh, later on, he had a great enmity for— uh, for Marshall, and you can get into that later, but, but uh, uh, the, the, the uh, anyway, like I say, he didn't like the Amblins, but the Amblin girls decided they wanted, they heard this uh, war hero was going to come, so they're going to have a party. And uh, uh, we know this mostly from the uh, oldest daughter's diaries, but so uh, John Marshall comes to this great party, and suddenly he's not like Christopher Reeve in Superman. He's wearing a fringed uh, uh, a jacket, much like uh, John Voight wore in Midnight Cowboy. He's wearing a, a, a tilted hat, because that's the hat he wore when he was a soldier. He, he, he's sort of gangly. He, he's got—he's he, very polite, but he doesn't have, like, refined manners. Uh, but before he came there, the 13-year-old Amblin girl said, I'm going uh, to get him. And sure enough, she does. And, and uh, Marshall, who is in his early 20s, is smitten with her. So he says, I'm staying around. And uh, at William & Mary College, the second oldest college in the country, there was a man named George Wythe, who everybody studied with, who, who, was, who wanted to really learn the law. He was very—he was the—I don't know, I guess the top law professor, such as, such as they were, in the United States. So Marshall goes over, and he— talks to uh, Professor Wythe, and he joins his class. Well, in Marshall's papers—and all these people had voluminous papers, 
Washington, Jefferson, Adams. They had they they must have known that they were doing something that people would want to read about later. Anyway, in Marshall's papers, the, his notes for this law class that he's taken with uh, with uh, Professor With are filled with little uh, notes on the side, but they're notes like uh, Polly Amblin and John Marshall, uh, J M and P A. You know, it, it was like he was like he was a middle school girl of the uh, of the 20th or 21st century. He's writing little notes about her. He's over there every night. He's over their house. Uh, he's studying the law with with uh, with uh, Professor With, but uh, but in any case, uh, uh, the elder Amblin gets a job in Richmond, so the, they're going off to Richmond, and and once again, remember the girl's 13 years old, and and and, and in any case, uh, Marshall decides, my work's done here. He takes off. He writes to Jefferson. He gets his law license, and he gets to uh, Richmond. So he studied about five or six weeks of the law. One year of school at 10, five or six weeks of the law. This was his entire education. Was it unusual for a 20-something man to have a relationship with a 13- or 14-year-old girl? Well, apparently not, among our founding fathers. Uh, when uh, uh, John uh, uh, Adams started dating uh, Abigail Adams, she was 15. And uh, and he was in his early twenties. Uh, uh, Marquis de Lafayette, uh, I, I agree, he was French, but his he married his wife at fourteen. Now he was an older teenager, but still older. And, and of course, uh, uh, Jefferson started dating, or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, with with his with his, uh, with his slave mistress, mistress when she was fourteen, and he was he was even older. He was in his thirties. So once uh, Marshall gets to Richmond, uh, did he start a law practice there? Did he become involved in politics? Yeah, he, he gets involved in politics. Now, you, you got to remember that uh, the, the, the thing about time and space in that time it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, Richmond today is, you know, you, you, go, across, you go across the state on the interstate from, uh, from uh, uh, Yorktown or Williamsburg, and you're there an hour and a half, two hours. Well, it took two days to get to Richmond. Uh, even though there was actually a road, uh, so uh, he gets anyway. He gets there and he starts a law practice, as as you might. And uh, uh, in in time, he gets on this committee or that committee through the House of Burgesses, and uh, he becomes the what, what some people think is the best lawyer in Richmond. Well, big deal. There were twenty seven hundred people there. You know, I mean, uh, if. It, it, it's 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 not an insignificant achievement, but it's not it's it's not like what you would think today. Uh, uh, and he, he he continues onward in, in Richmond, and he finds like I say he's on this or that and the other job. Eventually, uh, gets elected to Congress and, and following his uh, mentor uh, Washington. Did he was he associated with any particular faction? Yeah, he, of course, he was a Federalist. Now, uh, you know, of, of course, Washington did not want any parties. He didn't feel this was necessary. He had, uh, you know, he had in his cabinet, his cabinet was only four people, and one of them was, was Jefferson and one of them was Hamilton. They were diametrically opposed in their, in their ideas of what the country should be. Uh, uh, now, uh, uh, eventually, that, that, that broke into the Federalist and uh, Democrat-Republican parties, and uh, 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 excuse me, 
Marshall was a, was a definite uh, Federalist. He wanted to see a, a strong central government, uh, a, a bank, uh, uh, all the states cleaving to the, to the federal government. Now, one of the things that, that happened, of course, is the Constitutional Convention in, in Philly uh, in the summer of 1787, and they come up with this great document in four months. Can you believe it? I mean, it takes four months to get to get a bridge named after somebody in Congress today. So, uh, um, uh, but one of the things in the uh, in the Constitution is that uh, they said this is valid when nine states uh, uh, ratify it. Well, nine states ratify it, uh, and uh, leftovers, North Carolina, uh, Rhode Island, New York, and Virginia. Well, good luck having a country without New York and Virginia. I mean, they were the two largest states. So nine really didn't mean much. Yeah, it was, it was a legitimate thing once New Hampshire signed it. But uh, Marshall takes on—Marshall decides to take on uh, Patrick Henry, who was, who was the greatest orator of his generation. And he was the governor—well, he wasn't the current governor of Virginia, but he was a, a well-known and well-respected person there. And he d wanted no parts of this Constitution. So uh, they debate. And uh, there are other people in the debate, of course, but, but Marshall uh, starts to stand out, and, they, and the, the people who uh, like the Constitution—I uh, uh, don't mean bow to him, but, but, but put him up front—and he convinces the, uh, the, uh, the, the assembled the people there to ratify the Constitution, but not by much. It was 10 votes out of about 140. Uh, so you see how close we came to not having a country. Now, even after Virginia—so Virginia ratifies it, then New York, in waiting for Virginia, ratifies it. Now we have a country. Uh, uh, but like I said, uh, it, 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 if, if Virginia decided to go the other way, I don't know exactly what would have happened. We would have maybe had the, the country of Virginia, or maybe North Carolina becomes part of that. We have a South and a North. We have a New England uh, Confederation. Maybe we have a bigger thing where uh, uh, there's a military uh, treaty. But it, it was really close. Now, you mentioned that uh, when he was in Richmond, he started a, a club. And I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but it, it was it Quoits? Quoits. I, I, I don't know how many of you—I know when I was a little boy, I had a Quoits set. And it, 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 mine were like rubber rings, and they went—it was, it was a, a horseshoe-like game. It, it had to go on a post. Uh, you know, it was another way that he could, uh, he could uh, satisfy his jockdom. Uh, uh, although, uh, obviously, it was not a, a, a thing of—he uh, uh, had to have a great breath to do. Uh, so one of the things that Marshall was, uh, uh, was a great party-giver. Uh, uh, I, I guess I write about great party-givers because I wrote about uh, James Buchanan before, and he was, he was a wonderful party-giver. Uh, uh, So—and uh, Marshall was a— was a, uh, looked upon as a fun guy. I mean, that's basically what he was. And it, he, he, he developed all these relationships, and that's how he got ahead in his, uh, in his business. Uh, and his business was politics or the law. Uh, so uh, this Quoits Club is the, the club he has. You know, Richmond is not much of a city, as I've said. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, where the uh, state legislature met, could have been like a Costco warehouse. It was like this, you know, barely, barely a building. And, and uh, across the street was the 
was the town government in a slightly better building. But in the middle was no road. There were no paved roads in the state capital of Virginia, state capital of our largest state. And, and, and once again, there's one of these little rivulets through the middle with, with waste, and you have to jump over it uh, to get into the state capital. It, it think it, we, we somehow view ourselves or, or, or the, the time, those times as a junior version of what we have now, but not so. Uh, uh, the, these were places that were small. They were intimate. Uh, you know, a, a town of 2,700. I, I don't know where anybody out there lives, but if you live in a town of 2,700, you, you know everybody. And, and uh, uh, it, it, even if you lived in Philadelphia, which had 40-some thousand people. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting about that. Well, I was telling you about that uh, 1,800 census and the uh, five uh, large, large cities. Number six and number seven were Southwark and Northern Liberties. And for those who live around Philadelphia, they are now part of the city. But the, they, were, they were separate parts of the city uh, uh, then. Uh, Southwark was, was several blocks below Independence Hall, and Northern Liberties was several blocks above. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, even then, uh, Philadelphia, even if you counted those two, Philadelphia had maybe 50,000 people. So even a town of 50,000 people, you, you know a lot of them. And that's how, that's how, uh, that's how uh, the country uh, existed. Now, given Marshall's relationship with Washington and his role advocating for the Federalist cause, did Washington try to get him to join his administration at any time? Yes, he did. He gave him a couple of offers, uh, attorney general, U.S. attorney for Virginia, things like that. But, uh, but uh, Somehow, Marshall said, I don't know, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's that much better than what I have. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, th this was not a uh, not a uh, uh, uncommon position. John Jay was the first uh, Supreme Court chief justice, and he quit to become governor of New York. Now, you see how far that's gotten people. But in any case, he thought governor of New York was better. The second, uh, uh, John Rutledge uh, uh, quit to become a, uh, uh, a, a, a high court judge in South Carolina. So, you know, some of these federal jobs just didn't appeal to a lot of people. Uh, it, it was a hard, hard life. You would, you, you would have to uproot yourself and go to Philadelphia. Uh, or New York when it was the capital, or even later in Washington, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't easy to get there. They didn't have, you know, helicopters and planes and cars and trains to get you back home. So uh, uh, he waited. He waited it out. He he went a diplomatic mission to France, called the uh, that was later named the X Y Z affair, where where he came home a hero. Uh, it, finally, John Adams, who he became good friends with, was also a Federalist, uh, uh, appointed him Secretary of State. Uh, this, this happened because uh, he, Adams found that uh, hit several of his cabinet members were secretly aligned with Hamilton and trying to subvert him. Uh, uh, so later in his presidency, he appoints Marshall Secretary of State. Now, it's not quite the job as it is now. Yes, it did deal with foreign governments, but mostly it was like a chief of staff. And, and uh, uh, he, it was a great bureaucracy. He had uh, six employees uh, as Secretary of State. And uh, one of the things that he did is that Adams was a great—he <laughs> he didn't stay in Philadelphia that much. 
or even Washington when it became the capital during his administration. W one year he spent one year of his four-year term, he spent seven months at home in Quincy, Massachusetts. Now we we, we sit here and complain about uh, uh, Barack Obama's and and uh, Donald Trump's golf games and uh, George Bush going off to uh, chop wood in, in, in his farm in Texas. Uh, but that's nothing. You know, he, 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 and he, later on, he did not like the heat and, uh, and swelter, sweltering uh, humidity of Washington as it's being built. And he decides to go home. And he points to Marshall and he says, it's yours now. Build it. So Marshall was also the uh, the sort of the general contractor of uh, of uh, early Washington, and uh, you can make a case that he might have been the first person to sleep in the White House because he was there supervising the building of it, and it had to be it was a you know you know with White House is a beautiful building probably much better than his room in the uh, uh, hostel and across the street. Now, uh, while he was serving as Secretary of State, uh, Adams was also uh, going to appoint him to be to the Supreme Court. Uh, how did that come about? Okay, so so the uh, uh, for anybody who knows about the uh, election of 1800, it was a bizarre election. We we think of several of our modern elections, the last two, the, the Gore-Bush election, but but this was really bizarre because uh, the Constitution at that point did not uh, uh, delineate. Uh, the vice presidential uh, electoral votes. It, 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 uh, the, the vice president that ran with the president got the same number of electoral votes as, uh, as the president did. So at the end of this 1800 election, where uh, the Democrat-Republicans clearly won, uh, Burr and Jefferson had the same number of electoral votes, and Burr decides he's going to challenge it. He's going to decide how to become president. Well, there's a standoff, constant standoff. Uh, it goes to the House of Representatives. Each state gets one vote. Uh, 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 some people are proposed as temporary presidents, Marshall being one of them. But they continue onward. And, and at this point uh, uh, in, in our country's history, March 4th was the date, was the inauguration date, not January 20th. But it goes till February. And finally, Finally, the representative from Delaware relents, goes to Democrat-Republicans because they semi-bribe him. They, they say his father-in-law can have a judgeship. And this is how, this is how Jefferson becomes president. Uh, uh, so now it's late—so it's late now in the uh, term of uh, Adams. And the, in the winter, the, the then-current, the third uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice, Oliver Ellsworth, He's been sent off to do a mission in Paris uh, uh, to uh, settle the uh, the disputes about the uh, Barbary pirates. Well, he's stuck there. Now, first of all, just think about this. The, the Supreme Court Chief Justice is sent to Paris to do a diplomatic mission. It's as if Biden calls in John Roberts and says, you know, we got some trouble in Afghanistan. Would you might go, will you go over there and settle it? You know, that sort of thing. So, uh uh, we did not have this great separation of powers that we think about in those days. John Jay also, while his Supreme Court Chief Justice, was sent to England to, to do uh, a peace treaty. So uh, anyway, uh, Ellsworth couldn't get back. First of all, he was sick. And second of all, it was the last ship out of, uh, out of France 
to uh, to you know for the winter. So he sends a note and says, "I'm not coming back. You got to get a new guy." And uh, uh, Marshall, as Secretary of State, uh, goes in and tries to advise uh, uh, Adams about who he might pick. And Adams says, "No, I think it'll be you." And what happens then? Of course, he becomes. Uh, uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice, while he's still Secretary of State. Once again, two jobs that you can't imagine one person having. Uh, uh, but, but part of this is that the Federalists are losing. The Federalists, at this point, have the presidency and both houses of Congress. Well, it's going to turn on March 4th. Jefferson wins, and Congress is going to turn Democrat-Republican. Uh, so uh, so what, the, what happens is this Federalist uh, Congress— uh, 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 passes a law and gets uh, dozens of new judgeships uh, um, to be uh, <clears throat> to be filled with Federalists. Now, we think here, you know, uh, uh, depending on which side you're on, that the uh, Supreme Court now is six to three conservatives to uh, uh, liberals. Well, just imagine that Jefferson takes office with every single federal judicial employee being a Federalist, being of the other party, everyone, you know, whatever it is to nothing. So uh, uh, this, this is how uh, 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 Marshall's term starts. Now, one of the big cases that would come out of, of this situation was Marbury versus Madison. Uh, what happened there? Okay. Well, you have to you have to have the perspective of uh, uh, that the federal judiciary was thought of as not much. Uh, when they build the Capitol, uh, the Congress gives them a, a basement uh, office uh, to to meet in. Uh, uh, that that office on many Saturdays holds dances. Not many places to hold dances in Washington D.C. at that point. It was certainly not nice rooms like that. Even if they're in the basement, many Sundays it's, it has a church service, uh, and and then the Supreme Court meets there. Now the the Supreme Court has six people. Why Congress gave them six people instead of an odd number? Who knows? But they do. Uh, uh, but once again, not thought as much uh, of as much. The first uh, 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 term of the Supreme Court, there was one case that came up, and that was settled out of court too. So essentially, no cases in the first. Uh, First uh, session. Now they had two sessions a year. They weren't they weren't uh, uh, tremendously long sessions, but they were sessions of these people coming in from all parts of the country. Uh, Marshall decides he's going to change all of that. He's going to make the judiciary into something. He's going to uh, make Washington makes up all the rules about what's going to be. Uh, uh, the presidency. I don't mean he sits there and thinks of them as rules, but, you know, he doesn't dress up in, uh, in, in kingly garb. He doesn't uh, anoint his uh, stepson to be uh, the, the next president. He, he decides on two terms. He has uh, 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 meetings from a cabinet. It, it, he, he, he goes out in public. It, it, it's what the presidency becomes, because Washington ha is, is the man that, that, that took upon himself. He's the first president. Well, Marshall decides he's going to do the same thing with the judiciary. And so there's these—so let me back up now about why this Marbury versus Madison. Okay, so there's a guy named Bill Marbury. He is sort of an operator. He's a guy who always gets little jobs that the Federalists appoint him to. One of those jobs uh, was uh, 
was the, a justice of the peace in Washington, D.C. Now, this is happening in this last month of the, uh, of the Adams presidency, that he's one of those people. And uh, uh, but Marshall, as secretary of state, has to sign off on all of these these things. And several of these these commissions don't get delivered quite on time before March 4th, before the government turns and James Madison becomes secretary of state. So Marbury doesn't get his. So he sues. He doesn't sue. He, he, he takes to court Madison to, you know, give me my commission. You know, I, I, I was appointed. I've got to have—I I want it, and, uh, and, and, and I think you should give it to me. So Marshall decides to take on this case. Now, in the meantime, the, the Jeffersonians are trying to thwart all these judiciary appointments. They delay the, uh, the next meeting of the Supreme Court for a couple of years, 19 months. Uh, and and uh, but Marshall has it in his mind that he's going to take on this case, uh, and as you know, many of the cases of the Supreme Court or even Supreme Courts of of, of of states are not so much about the facts, but about the theory that you can get behind uh, uh, this this case. And this is what Marbury versus Madison becomes. It, it, in in um, so so it does finally get to be. Uh, Heard now. What's interesting about this is Marshall liked all of his Supreme Court uh, 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 under justices to to stay in one place. So uh, there was a collegiality. There was a there was a, uh, an idea that as one they would be they would be more uh, uh, forceful, especially in these early times when, when nobody thought they would be. And Marshall also, e even beyond this, liked to have the case not be unanimous, but be by consensus. In other words. It might be four to two in the voting, but we're going to speak as one voice. You're going to win sometimes, and you're going to win some other times, but we're going to always speak as one voice. And Marshall wrote many of his opinions. He wrote about 500 of the 1,000 cases that he heard, uh, that the Supreme Court heard in his time. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices has gout, and he can't make it over to the Capitol. So Marshall decides— well, he can get downstairs in the hotel, and we're going to decide this case. We're going to hear the case in the lobby of the hotel. So Mar Marbury versus Madison is perhaps the most significant case in Supreme Court history. It's heard in the lobby of a, of a, of a sort of a ramshackle hotel. Uh, Marshall comes down with this opinion. One of the things about Marshall's opinions is he always gives the other side a little sop. And then he spouts off about the—, the uh, the, uh, uh, the theory of the case. Well, in this case, he says that uh, 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 Madison has a perfect right not to get Marbury his commission. It didn't come to him in time. It's not his fault. He's the secretary of state. He's the boss. He can give the commission or not. But he comes up with a theory that, uh, uh, that the Supreme Court can only have—can uh, have power— uh, what they call judicial review. It can review a—it's it, it, there to review a case uh, that's, that's heard either Congress and a person, the, uh, the administration and a person, uh, two states, a state and—and uh, uh, anyway, there are certain uh, five or six different cases, kinds of cases they can hear. And one of them is uh, a case between an individual and the federal government. 
But uh, 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 he said, and, and in this case, the Judiciary Act of 1789, which I won't get into the complications of it, but it was an early Judiciary Act, is invalid because it, 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 would, give, it would give the Congress, to, excuse me, the Supreme Court too much power, and therefore it is not a part of the, uh, uh, it, it runs afoul of the Constitution. Uh, uh, and and the, so the big thing about this is that the Supreme Court can review a case. This is not in any other judicial system. No democracy, no, no, no monarchy, no, not England, not France, no, no progressive places, not the Netherlands, not Sweden. This is the first time a thing called judicial review becomes the, the case. And this is what separates the Supreme Court of the United States from every other uh, uh, high court. Now, one of the questions you ask in the book is, when did the founding end? What did you conclude? Well, when the founding—well, I, I, that, for that one—in my book, I do have a, a bunch of little essays like that. And when did the founding end? Uh, you know, you can say, is it the Declaration of Independence? Is it the Constitution? Uh, uh, one, uh, one fellow, James Traub, who wrote a, 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 a great biography of John Quincy Adams, says it's when the Adams presidency— is over. That's the first. That's the end of where the founders. He counts Quincy Adams as a founder because because of his father, uh, um, uh, you know. And then there's one, one of one of the people I interview say, uh, "Is it over yet?" And so, so. Uh, but I, I pick Marbury versus Madison because that's when finally the three uh, uh, parts of the government are co-equal. Now, you, uh, you also mentioned in the book that at 71, Marshall was reading Jane Austen's novels. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was a great reader, as you see. I mean, he, he, he wasn't uh, formally schooled very much, but, uh, but he, he, he decided, you know, he would decide to just read whatever came by him, you know, whatever came through Richmond, I'm sure, whatever came through Washington. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he had time to do it. When he was on the road, you know, they had to what they call ride circuits. So each Supreme Court justice had had uh, cases to be heard in, in the capitals of the states that they uh, uh, were were assigned. Uh, you know, he would bring books with him. Now, uh, you say that later in the 19th century, there was a Supreme Court justice who was named after Marshall, John Marshall Harlan. Who was he? Yeah, John Marshall Harlan. There's a new uh, a new uh, biography of him. Uh, he. He was, uh, he was, he, he was in the—the uh, the Harlans were, were uh, prominent people in Kentucky. They were slaveholders during—they they, they were unionists, though. You know, they stayed with the—in uh, the uh, uh, Civil War, stayed with the Union. But they were slaveholders. They had to get rid of their slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, uh, but uh, eventually, as, uh, you know, as all prescribed by—, by Harlan's father naming him. John Marshall Harlan, be, uh, Harlan becomes a, uh, a, a great lawyer and a, uh, uh, a Supreme Court justice. In the, in the case of Plessy versus Ferguson in the late uh, 19th century, uh, it's that, that's where the term separate but equal came. So it, it, it uh, essentially uh, validated uh, the Jim Crow laws because the, the southern states, or even northern states, could provide two different uh, uh, venues for, for black and white people, 
and they were claimed to be equal. Well, there's certain things that probably were equal about them that they had, they had a building and a toilet, but 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 there was no, nothing that was equal uh, for uh, for uh, uh, blacks in, in in that case. And John Marshall Harlan wrote the Great Descent. He was the it was an eight to one decision, and uh, uh, one of the things that he said. Uh, which is interesting and, and maybe uh, valid today, is that he admitted that he once had these uh, other opinions, but he said great people can, uh, or even simple people, can change their mind, and I'd rather be right now than, than have uh, a legacy. And so he wrote this great dissent saying, you know, black people are people, and, and, and they deserve uh, uh, not, not separate to, to, to basically join in the society. And his dissent was the basis for uh, the, the, uh, the case of Brown versus Board of Education much later in the 20th century, which, uh, which well, I, I, I now say supposedly, but, but uh, knocked down the idea of separate but equal. Now, in the book, you also write about your own education and, and why you decided to study philosophy. What, what drew you to that topic? Okay, well, you know, um, I always loved—my father had a great—he uh, uh, was a great uh, a reader of, uh, of uh, American history, mostly, sometimes history of religion, but, but American history. And I lived outside of Philadelphia, and I mean, we always, you know, dragged me into Philadelphia many times, Washington, uh, in New York. We went to—you know, I had to read every uh, uh, signpost, uh, what it said, and, you know, made sure I read it out loud so he could hear it. Uh, not so that he could hear, but so that he could hear that I did it. And, and uh, we had many fun incidences doing this. I was an only child, so, uh, you know, so I was, I was one dragged. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he, he, was a, he was an early uh, helicopter parent, and he had decided where, where I was going to go to college, and uh, I decided that I wasn't going to do that, and I applied to a a, a good school in Minnesota, Carleton College. It was the greatest thing I, I ever did. And I went away from Philadelphia to Minnesota, uh, and then it's time. It's a small liberal arts college, uh, much like in, in the Philadelphia area, ha Haverford or Swarthmore. And I had to decide what I was going to major in. And uh, you know, I knew I would read history and English uh, anyway. And I decided, unlike most people who I guess these days decide how it's going to get you a job, I decided to major in philosophy because I, I knew if I didn't read it now, I was never going to read it. So uh, that's how I majored in philosophy. It was a good, it was a good uh, 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 basis to become a sports writer, which is what I became right after school. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, John Marshall's relationship with Joseph Story? Yeah, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. Lots of people like to have mentors, excuse me, mentees, the other way around. And uh, when, as you may imagine, the Federalists did never, never held power again. So for those 35 years of, uh, of uh, Marshall being on the Supreme Court, uh, the, the people who came in were always uh, Democrat-Republicans uh, or, you know, later Jeffersonians, Jacksonians. Anyway, that, the party that became the Democratic Party. So as the Federalist judges died or quit or whatever, they, they were always replaced by by, uh, by these people of the other party. But that, that didn't bother Marshall. You know, Marshall viewed his job as uh, forwarding the, uh, the, the, the neo-federalist 
way of doing things. That the country, that the, the federal government was, was the most important. All of his major cases show that, that the federal government is, is, is where we should be looking for our uh, judicial, uh, 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 well, for our, our judicial ideas. So this, this fellow Joseph Story was a younger, of course, judge, and uh, they, they just created a great friendship, even though their political philosophies were completely different. Uh, one of the great things that he did with Story, though, was that Mar Marshall, as I told you, was a great partier. And one of the things that he said was that uh, you could only drink when it was raining. Uh, so often he would send, uh, you know, in the middle of a, a case or whatever they were doing or at the end of a case, and he would send a Story out to, you know, would you go look at the, the weather? And he, he says, uh, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, it's a beautiful sunny day out. He says, well, it's raining somewhere. Bring out the Madeira, you know. Who replaced John Marshall as Chief Justice? Well, well it, it's sort of a, a diametrically opposed guy. It was uh, Roger Tawney, who, uh, who was a slaveholder from, uh, from uh, Maryland. His uh, uh, brother-in-law was Francis Scott Key, also a slaveholder from Maryland, uh, much as we like to think of the, the land of the free and the home of the brave in the Francis Scott Key National Anthem wasn't quite so in his lifetime. Uh, Tawney uh, ended up writing the uh, uh, decision in the most likely worst case uh, that ever became uh, uh, a part of the Supreme Court history, and that's the Dred Scott case, which essentially uh, uh, said that uh, slavery could not be uh, legislated out. It had to be a constitutional amendment because it was in the Constitution. Uh, uh, it, it invalidated uh, all the great compromises before, before that, 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 that no doubt people read about in, in school, in Missouri, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, 1820, uh, uh, Kansas-Nebraska Act. In any case, it was, uh, it, it, it was a, a heinous uh, uh, decision, caused, a great, uh, caused the Great Depression of uh, 1857 because uh, people didn't know where slavery was going. Uh, uh, it was quite precipitous and essentially led to the Civil War. Now, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, before we go, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the biography of George Washington that Marshall wrote. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, when I wrote about James Buchanan, the wor it was called Worst President Ever, it, it, it's not like everything that James Buchanan did was so heinous. You know, like I said, he was a great party giver. He was a great compromiser. Uh, people liked him, uh, but he was a bad president. Well, same thing here. Marshall was a great— you know, he, he, he had many great things about him. One of them was not being—not <laughs> writing a very good biography of George Washington. Washington's papers were left to him to write the official biography of uh, a, a, a publishing house in Philadelphia, started this idea of a subscription. They were going to have three different, uh, three different uh, volumes. There were going to be a subscription service. People would pay a premium to have this subscription. And uh, first thing— uh, Marshall does this. He blows his first deadline. It takes him a couple years longer. People start to want their money back. And then when the first uh, volume comes out, there's nothing about George Washington in it. It's all about the prehistory of George Washington. That's not what people wanted. And it was a—eventually wrote the, the uh, succeeding uh, 
volumes, which were very dry. You would not sit there and read them. And uh, the, uh, one of the salesmen of this, uh, of this uh, set of biographies, a guy named Mason Weems, goes to the publishing company and says, I can do something better. And so what Mason Weems does is he does all the myths that you know about. George Washington chopping the cherry down the cherry tree, uh, uh, his wooden teeth, his throwing the dollar across the Rappahannock River. Uh, he, he doesn't, he never says it's a biography. He, he says it's a different form, some fiction, some facts, some myth, and he sells 50,000 copies. So there you go. Well, we've been speaking with Robert Strauss. He is the author of John Marshall, The Final Founder. Thank you for joining me. Oh, I thank you for having he, me here. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. Full episodes of PA Books, as well as other PCN programs, are available to stream with the PCN app. Visit PCNTV.com or the App Store for details.